You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Cables? We don't need no stinking cables. TechFan212. Hey there guys, it's David Cohen here, one of your regular co-hosts, running a solo show this week for TechFan212. Um, as we talked about last week, Tim is travelling, he's off in the wilds of the American West, doing his conference thing for work, so um, you've just got me this week. Did briefly look into getting somebody else on the show, but um, a couple of people are uh, fairly busy at the moment who I had in mind. Uh, I'm also pretty busy, so I thought it would be easier just to sit down and... Dash out a solo show. Uh, there's a few things that I want want to discuss and share my uh, share my experiences with, really. So uh, obviously, with just me on here, it's not going to be an awful lot of uh, opinion debate and debate. It's just going to be me talking about some stuff I've been doing and my impressions of some of the tech technology I've been playing around with, and hopefully it will uh, feed into discussion with Tim next week, as well as uh, obviously next week we're expecting to discuss the announcements coming from Apple next Monday on uh, the keynote speech for uh, Worldwide Developers Conference. But that's for next week, so let's talk about this week. Um, I have been mostly playing with my new Apple Watch. So this arrived last Friday, um, about a week ago as I'm recording to you now. In fact, when I was talking to Tim last week, it had literally just arrived. Uh, I had opened the box and nothing more. Opened everything up when uh, my kids got home last week because they wanted to see it. Uh, I thought I'd hold it back to uh, to let them share the unboxing experience. A bit more personal, sticking it on YouTube, I thought. Uh, first things was the box is really heavy. Uh, I'm quite a bit larger than I was expecting for such a small device. Uh, Apple really has pushed the boat out on their packaging, as they always do. Um, instead of cardboard, the, um, the box the Apple Watch comes in is kind of a long white plastic box. Um, really does have some heft to it actually and when you open it up there's there's the watch nestling in the top uh, underneath you've got a charger and a uh, obviously the yeah the magnetic charger that that charges the watch and also a, a USB um, mains adapter that, that you plug that into interesting design on this one I, I don't know what the American ones are like uh, but I've not seen this from Apple in the UK before. Uh, I, those of you who have ever been to the UK or seen um, UK men's adapters will know that uh, we have a kind of a big, very heavily, very over-engineered three-pin plug here. Um, much, much more robust than the US two-pin blade plug. This has big, solid, uh, really kind of bomb-proof metal prongs on it. It really hurts if you stand on it. And uh, it's also designed in such a way that you can stand on it because the the uh, plugs will tend to fall down onto the ground if you drop them and kind of end up on their back with the prongs sticking up. So you kind of know about it if you step on one of those. Anyway, um, the the size of it and this, this extremely robust nature means that it takes a lot of space up. It's kind of a pain when you're traveling, actually. Um, and the one that Apple ships with the Apple Watch is different. The previous one was kind of like, it, it basically it looked like the plug part of a plug with everything taken away. 
and just a USB cable on the bottom. It was about as small as you can make it really um, for a UK plug. What Apple have done with this one is um, it's a little bit thicker, but they've engineered a thing so that the prongs actually fold away when you're not using them. Um, and in a, in a way that I've not seen done before on a UK plug, it's pretty cool actually. Um, they're kind of cantilevered and linked to each other, so the thing folds down to a tiny little box, but you can just fold the plugs out when you want, want them to. And for a UK plug, that's that's pretty unique. In fact, I liked it so much I've put that in my uh, main travel bag now as my, my ordinary USB charger when I'm travelling around because it's such a neat solution. Uh, so yeah, uh, the unboxing experience of the watch was nice. Um, it had some charge in it, so I was able to turn it on straight away. Um, my kids were very keen to see all the things it could do, but obviously I had to pair it with my iPhone first before I could do any of that, so uh, that took about uh, probably 10 minutes to set up. It was pretty easy to do. Um, the uh, You launch the Apple Watch uh, app on your phone, and then the watch, as you go through the setup process, will display something that's kind of a fancy uh, Apple version of a of a Q, of QR code, I guess. It, it looks like a random display of swirling dots, but put that in front of your iPhone, turn the camera on, and it immediately recognises some details from that, but let it talk straight to the uh, to the watch from the phone. Um, and it's then very seamless. You don't see Bluetooth or Wi-Fi icons in, the, um, in those parts of the uh, iPhone settings for the watch, basically. If you've got the app running on the, uh, on the iPhone at any point, um, you can see it's paired there, but otherwise it's all pretty seamless, which is kind of really what you want. You want it to not get in your way. Um, so yeah, I, I then had to spend a bit of time trying to figure out, as people, as any of you have read the reviews, the Apple Watch might, might have heard people say that the interface is a little bit confusing. I've, I found it's, it's not so much confusing as just different. And once you get your head around the, uh, I think what the design layout of the, of the interface is, it's fairly easy. But you kind of have to understand that. I think the problem is, as as normal with all things Apple, the documentation you get in the box is pretty minimal. Um, just a couple of things, talking about some of the gestures you can do and explaining force touch. Um, but it doesn't explain that design paradigm. And, and I actually read something by John Gruber on Daring Fireball that explained it to me before I got the watch, and that kind of helped me out. So it, it basically it runs in uh, effectively three modes. There's the watch mode, which is what you get when you lift your wrist and look at it which obviously tells you the time um, and if you then swipe down from the top of the screen you get notifications just as you would on a on a iPhone if you swipe up from the bottom of the screen you get glances and glances if you if you are conceptually are, are kind of like the, uh, the the dashboard widgets on OS 10 so um, they effectively are just information panes and you can put as many on as you want for apps that support it. Um, you don't want too many on there because you're just swiping left and right to see them. But they are displays. They they can be updated remotely, but they're not interactive. If you, normally, if you press on a glance, then it immediately launches the associated app. Um, and then if you press the crown, the um, watch goes from watch mode to what I call app mode, which is the the kind of honeycomb of, of app icons that you've probably seen on the ads and, and in the Apple documentation. And once you're in that, then you are in effective application interactive mode. You're not really in time mode anymore. Uh, and in fact, it's quite jarring to get back to time mode because you have to basically come out the app you're in and then double press the crown to bring the, uh, the watch app back to the front and then actually launch the watch again. However, um, you don't actually need to do that. If you finish using an app, if you just drop your wrist and let the, the watch timeout and power off, 
when you next raise your wrist, it'll have gone back into clock mode again. So once you've kind of got your head around those concepts, then it, it becomes a lot easier to navigate the interface. There are occasions when you're still looking at it, thinking, what do I do? Or I don't, I, I want to do something else. I'm not sure how to do it. And then you end up kind of doing a bit of swiping or maybe a force touch to try and figure out what's going on. So it is possible still to lose things in the interface. I guess it's a constraint of having something that's so small and has such limited interaction. But generally, you pick it up pretty quickly. I, I, I certainly felt I did. Um, one of the advantages I felt I had from having the uh, watch come to me after a few weeks was that I think the app support was, was much stronger than probably it would have been if I'd got one earlier. Um, the way it works is is the, the Apple Watch app on your phone is the main interface to get things in and out of the watch. So all your controls and settings are on there. So for instance, if you want um, well, when it, what it did with me by default was it, it looked at all the apps on my phone and any app that had a um, associated watch app uh, in, appeared automatically. So when I when I went into the app screen, there was, it was already populated with a heck of a lot of apps. And then what you can do is you can go through those as a list on the Apple Watch app, um, uh, application and then you can either dis enable and disable those. If you disable those, they immediately disappear from your watch. Uh, and also, if that if the app has an associated glance, then you can enable or disable that as well. So um, you know, I had I had a lot of apps straight on there, and um, I, I know a lot of people complain that some of the app support is not very good on the Apple Watch. Um, I actually have been pleasantly surprised. Uh, I probably found it to be better than I was uh, expecting. Um, there are some apps on there that are kind of redundant, and you try and you kind of wonder why anybody did it. And there's clearly somewhere. Uh, the application developer said, I must have Apple Watch support, let's throw something in there. But there are others that work pretty well. Um, and the nice thing about it is that there's not too many of what I call Apple's walled gardens. There's not too many areas where you um, can't access other things or using the default Apple apps that might be associated with the watch. So, for instance, um, I use Overcast, which is a podcast application, podcast um Podcatcher, if you like, on my phone, and it's one of my main apps. It's uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Has a very nice um, app that uh, works with the Apple Watch, and using that app, you can go in and you can effectively. It doesn't play the podcasts or store them on the phone, or on the watch. Sorry, because uh, Apple doesn't let you do that yet. But what it does do is it um, allows you to select from all the podcasts you have on your phone or the playlist you have on your phone, whichever podcast you want to listen to. Uh, and that's all that's all great, and that's cool, but it's not... Uh, the, and there's a glance as well that shows what's now playing and, and that sort of thing. But it's not particularly useful in that um, if you're not listening to a podcast at the moment, you have to go into the app and, and kind of launch it on, which is fine. Um, and you can launch apps on the watch using Siri, so you don't necessarily have to go through the application interface if you don't want to. Um, but what's great is when those podcasts are playing, then you can actually use the now playing glance, which is the Apple inbuilt one, to control the podcast just the same as you could with uh, any other audio, which uh, is obviously much more convenient. Um, and it, it does make the overcast glance itself kind of redundant. It's not something I really, really find a need. Um, so uh, so that that was nice. Um, some of the other apps, City Mapper, which um, is kind of a, a mapping and transit. It has all the transit details for cities around the world in. So it allows you to plot a journey by actually figuring out how you can use the trains, bus, underground, whatever to, to get around. Um, that has a really great app on the phone, um, on, on the watch, sorry. Uh, I'm going to keep doing that because I do kind of think of it as an extension of my phone. Um, 
and I used that in London the other day and um, even does things like it will give you haptic feedback when you need to change, you know, when you come into a bus stop to remind you to get off the bus uh, and things like that. It's really very seamless and integrates pretty well with the, uh, the inbuilt maps application on the watch. Um, most of the other apps you'll, you'll, you'll seen on the ads, you know, they, or if you've gone into the Apple Store to play with it, you know, it, it has an awful lot of stuff there. Uh, one slight oddity, I was, it does reminders, and it integrates with the Reminders app on my phone, but there's no separate Reminders application on the watch, which is kind of odd. So you can set a reminder, you can use it, do it using Siri, and it works really well, but um, there's not an actual Reminder application on the watch, which is... Uh, a little bit odd, but pretty much everything else is there. There's a uh, great messages app. Um, the mail app is pretty good. Um, what a couple of the mail apps I use actually have their own um, watch apps as well, so um, you can browse your mail through that too. Um, and all in all, it's been a pretty positive experience. Um, in coming back to a more fundamental question is is why why do you want a watch or why would you need a watch? And I know um, Tim's attitude is he's, he, he doesn't want to wear a watch. He hasn't worn a watch for a long time. And he really doesn't see the point of the of the Apple Watch. Um, what I've been telling people is, after using it for a week, is that it really is... You ever heard that phrase, uh, death of a thousand cuts? Well, the, the Apple Watch is kind of the opposite of that. It's like, um, you know, improvement with a thousand vitamins, say. You know, it makes your life better, but not by any one big thing but loads and loads of little things that each one of them is is in itself is not amazing but you aggregate them all together and all of a sudden you find you've got something pretty special i find um so i mentioned that i i went to um i went i went on a trip uh, using city map the other day i was actually down in london for the day on business um so let me kind of talk you through what i did that day in in the uk when you travel by train if you buy your ticket online uh, using one of the main uh, train ticket websites. They, they have a system where they basically send you a code and then when you get to the train station you pick your ticket up by feeding your credit card into the machine and typing in this code to get the tickets printed. Um, it's a national system so pretty much all the train companies use it and it's very convenient, it's much better than queuing up and buying tickets or even using electronic tickets which can be a pain because most of the ticket machines want to have a, have a uh, you know, the, the electronic barrier gates that let you get in and out of the stations want to have a physical ticket they don't have scanners on. So, um, ordinarily, when I get to the station, it's a bit of a pain in the neck because I have to find the email I was sent with the uh, with the code in that I need for my ticket. Or I need to launch the, app, the matching mobile application that goes with the ticket app. And then, if I'm lucky, it will surface the ticket at the front of the app on the main page. Oftentimes it doesn't. I've got some older tickets that I never used and I cancelled and got refunds on, but they're still in the app for some reason. So they tend to clog up the front page. So I've got to go and then go into my tickets, find the latest one and then click on that and then type the code in. And the problem is I'm doing all of this on my phone. So I, I get to the station, I go into the station, I have to pull my phone out of my pocket, normally my inside jacket pocket. I normally have a bag slung over my other shoulder and I'm traveling for a couple of days I'm pulling a roller case behind me so I had to put all that down uh, I then had to reach into my other pocket and get my wallet out because you need to verify your uh, identity with your credit card when you type this uh, type this code into the machine uh, and you do all this while there's normally a queue of people behind you also wanted to do that they have lots of machines but people you know it's almost human nature isn't it you see somebody queuing at a machine and rather than going finding one that's free you kind of tend to queue up behind person don't you so 
is a little bit of peer pressure when you're doing all of this. Now, this week it was much easier because I have the Trainline app on my watch. Now, the app itself is is not great, to be honest. You can't buy tickets on the watch. Um, all you can basically do is search for a particular train route or a train destination on your phone, and then that will be copied not to a glance but to the app on the watch so you can fire out the app and actually see all the trains from the station you're at that go into the destination you want over the next two hours something like that um, bearing in mind that in a station you're given that information on large displays all around you everywhere um, I didn't really feel that was a particularly great use of the app but the glance is excellent because all the glance does is present to you your latest ticket code for your latest journey, the journey you're, you're due to make next. So I got rock up to the to the um, ticket machine, pull out my credit card from my pocket, put my credit card to the machine, identifies me, what's your code? I then pull my watch up, switch straight to the glance, there's my code, type it in, I'm done. Now, as I say, that doesn't sound like a particularly great thing that's worth spending £300 on. But that's just one example of the sort of interactions you have on a day-by-day -day basis with the Apple Watch that mean you're not reaching for your phone. And yeah, your phone is only in your pocket, but it is in your pocket. It means taking an action, going and diving for your phone, unlocking it, finding the app you want, and then doing the thing you want. And of course, the other thing is that you tend to, when you pick up your phone, and we all, we all know we do this because we know that everyone's staring at their phones all the time. Once you've got your phone out and in your hand, you uh, once you finish the activity you want to do, then you'll start doing something else. Oh, oh, it's got, I've got some email as well. I'll check, just check those. Oh, I wonder what's going on Twitter. Um, and oh, I'll just drop a text to my to my uh, to my wife, to my girlfriend, whatever. So you tend to kind of then become focused on the phone and not on what else you're doing. Whereas what the watch lets you do is kind of do these activities and then move on with whatever whatever else you're doing. And and I find that to be quite quite good, really, quite liberating. All the messaging and everything is great. I've been really pleased with how good Siri is on the watch. And and here's another thing. Siri is a great system, but I hardly ever used it before I got my watch. I, I mean, the problem was to use it, I had to, again, I had to pull my phone out, I had to hold down the home button. Well, by the time I'd done that, I, I always kind of felt, well, I've already got a phone in my hand. I might as well do it myself manually and not have to deal with Siri, get my request wrong or the, the gap or the pause in Siri processing what I want to do. So I, I hardly ever use Siri. Pretty much the only time I use Siri is I'd, I would sometimes pick up the phone late at night and I would say, Siri, wake me up at 7 o'clock in the morning and set an alarm. Or sometimes in the morning you might pick it up while you were kind of getting dressed and going, Siri, what's the weather today? The rest of the time I hardly ever use Siri. Um, now with the watch, because that's pretty much the only way to get real information into the system, you use Siri a lot more. And on using it more on the watch, I find that, hey, Siri's really improved from when I last used it. The voice transcription is actually pretty good. And it's a good thing it is, because the problem with Siri on the watch is that, <coughs> excuse me, if it misunderstands what you say, there's no real way to correct it. You basically just have to cancel it and start again. There's no, because it has no facility for editing or anything like that. And that's something I'm, I'm, I'd like to see them figure out and change in, the, in later versions of the software. But, um, I have to say, 90% of the time, it gets exactly what I want straight away. Um, it's it it's context aware. So if it misunder, I've watched it do this. If it misunderstands a word, um, in the middle of a sentence, but the word it it's chosen doesn't then fit with the sentence, it will then 
change it again to something that does fit with the sentence. So, for example, suppose I would uh, I, I was saying to Siri, um, uh, set, set me a reminder to uh, call Leanne in the morning. OK, and suppose what it would do is it would go set. Uh, you'd, you would see the, the, the words come on the screen. Set me a rider, a reminder, uh, a reminder to call lean in the morning, L-E-A-N rather than Leanne. OK, and you'll see that come up and then there'll be a quick pause and then it will change it to Leanne. Spelt correctly, my wife, that's my wife's name, and her, her the spelling of her name is L-E-A-N-N. It's, it's not a usual spelling of the name Leanne. Most people are spelt L-E-A-N-N or L-E-A-N-N-E. But what obviously what Siri, do, Siri is doing there is recognising that I've used a name. It's seeing um, that it's looking at the name, and then it's actually checking in my contacts and saying, oh, well, I know who that is, and it's changing it. And there's, I've seen it do that a couple of other times with with proper nouns as well, and also with um, with just other words and verbs. It, it's kind of figuring out the context of the sentence after it's analysed it, and it's saying, "Oh, clearly I've made a mistake here. This makes more sense." Um, and so that's very smart, very intelligent, and it makes being able to enter messages uh, on the watch very, very easy. Uh, and I'm I'm actually doing it quite a lot now. Um, if I'm walking around somewhere, I'm doing something, and I get a buzz, and it's a message, I will very often reply to it directly from the watch by uh, dictating and when you do that as well you always get the option to send audio rather than uh, having the dictation transcribed which uh, is also obviously a nice feature because that way people can actually hear you um, what else have I been doing with it um, I was talking about you know these kind of little improvements so over the weekend I was building some furniture uh, got some flat pack stuff from Ikea I'm putting together and while I'm doing that I like to listen to my podcast so uh, I normally uh, have my phone across the room playing the podcast, either through a speaker or just through its inbuilt speaker. And the reason I have it across the room is because I'm using tools. Um, I'm, I'm normally kneeling or, or crouching up and down all the time. I don't want my phone falling out of my pocket, particularly where I've got wood and tools and nails and stuff like that. It's going to get messed up. So I tend to put it down the far across the room. Now, this weekend, unlike most weekends, when I was listening to my podcast, if the door went, or somebody came to the room to ask me something, I could just using my watch, I could pause the, uh, I could pause the podcast uh, straight away. <clears throat> if an if an ad came on the podcast that I didn't want to listen to, uh, I was able to use the uh, skip buttons on my on my watch to immediately jump forward sixty seconds uh, and skip skip past the ads that way. Again, without getting up from what I'm doing. And yeah, if I got a message or uh, in fact I got a phone call while I was doing that as well, I took the phone call straight in the watch. Uh, without having to get up and uh, go and pick my phone up. So again, you know, these things in themselves aren't fantastic. They're not certainly, you know, killer features. But you add all of them up and the whole thing becomes a killer feature for me. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with it. I really like it. I find it uh, pretty easy to use. Uh, you can see it's only going to get better. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to... Well, things I'm looking forward to are improved app support. There's rumours that at WWDC next week they're going to introduce a, an on-app um, watch platform, software development platform, so you can actually create apps that run and process on the watch. Be interested to see what that does in terms of battery life. At the moment, I'm getting well over a day on the battery, so I'm not having any problems with that. Um, so uh, on that on-watch apps will be interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more third-party bands. Um, the Apple bands are great. 
from what I've seen in them, when I went to do my try-on, I could see that there were plenty of mans there, and I tried a few different ones. But they are fairly expensive. And also, because Apple has... Uh, the default position with the Sport watch, which I have, I bought a 42mm satin grey um, Sport watch, so that comes with the black uh, fluoro elastomer strap, which is actually is very nice. It does feel very comfortable, and it feels fairly luxurious for a rubber strap, so... Um, you know, it doesn't really feel like they've cheaped out the straps. But the thing with the sport watch is that um, because it's made of uh, aluminium, um, it doesn't come with the steel lugs that are used for attaching all the straps that come with the steel version of the watch. So uh, effectively, the, the fluoroacetamella strap has shapes on the end that fit straight into the, into the grooves on the watch where the straps go. So that means if I want... Uh, any of Apple's other straps, apart from the uh, the sports straps, then I have to... Uh, well, I can't buy them from Apple, because I have to have a steel watch for that. So I need some strap adapters. Um, and what is happening, I'm seeing from looking around, is that the, manu the industry is starting to um, kind of walk up to this by it's building its own straps and also incorporating the strap adapters. So I want to let that settle down for a bit and make sure that those strap adapters are good. Uh, I'm particularly concerned about having a, a steel strap adapter in an aluminium watch to make sure it's not going to damage the case by doing that. So I'm going to wait to see that how that settles down. But when, once it does, then I'm looking at um, yeah, maybe getting some cheaper strap options so I can kind of change it up a little bit. And um, and they, some of the third parties are looking at making straps that Apple don't make, for instance. They're looking at making high-quality nylon straps rather than, uh, rather than leather, uh, which is something that kind of interests me. Uh, and there's also people looking at kind of modifications of the things like the Milanese Loop, which Apple's one is fairly expensive. It has magnets in it, so it's infinitely adjustable. Um, other manufacturers looking to do those a little bit cheaper by not having the magnets and just doing a conventional uh, pop clasp on there. Uh, so those, those sort of things are interesting to me as well. So uh, yeah, it's an exciting time. Um, it's an interesting gadget. Had a quite a few reactions from people who've, who've noticed that I'm wearing it and saying, uh, you know, what do you think of it and this, that and the other. Um, it's a neat thing. It, it's, not, it's not something everybody needs. Uh, I, I do recognise if you just don't really rock watches then then it's something you, you don't really need um i do think most people who try one will find with a little bit of effort it will really improve the way they interact with their phone uh, and the way they communicate with people and the way they uh, they use their computers and that sort of thing and i think all of that is nice um and that is probably worth 300 pounds but that's only if you think it's something that's going to fit with you the problem you're going to have is if you don't think you're a watch person you're never going to try this and so you're never going to figure out if you can get on with it or not you, you do need to kind of put a little bit of effort in to get the notifications right cut down the amount of stuff you see on the watch try and figure out which apps you want which which you don't and you do kind of have to be it's easy with a large phone to just assume that oh well anything i've got there i'll just stick it in a folder and forget about it with the watch you kind of have to be a bit more proactive than that and actually remove the things you're not going to need um but all in it's been pretty good and uh I'd be interested to see if any of our listeners have any other views or have had experience of their watch they want to share with us. So if you do, get in touch, usual places, at techfanpodcast on Twitter. Um, email us at techfanpodcast, uh, sorry, the show at techfanpodcast.com. Um, or you can always find us individually on Twitter and uh, I believe Tim does Facebook. Not my thing, but there you go. So we're going to take a break now, and uh, then after that, we're going to talk about something else.
Hello, I'm Mike McPeak from Bard on the Plains podcast. Growing up on the plains of South Dakota, I used to listen to my dad tell stories about his life. I never had a chance to record any of these, but I realized that everyone has a story to tell. And that's what I try to do on this podcast, tell anecdotes of my own and have other people tell their stories in their words and in their voice. So please listen to Bard on the Plains podcast. It's about stories, mine and yours. Okay, and here we are again. Um, One thing I want to talk about that I've been playing with this week is something that actually is tangentially related to the watch. I mentioned um, the charger that comes with it. You get a two-meter cable, the USB port at one end, and then the other end it has this kind of little round disc. And that is a magnetic inductive charger. I've got to be honest with that. This I was... I was maybe slightly less impressed with than than the rest of the package with the Apple Watch, because it's it's a flat white disc and it has an indentation on one side and is flat on the other. And clearly, what you're meant to do is you're meant to put it down flat on the table, and then dock your watch with the indented side. The problem is it's all white, and at night, which is when you normally are docking your watch with it, you can't see which side is which. So you kind of pushing it on there trying to think well is this the side and, and the, the side when it docks you it does like a little magnetic pull that pulls it into place but the magnets aren't very strong and i was expecting it to be a fair bit stronger i thought you'd actually you know it would kind of really pull itself together when it needs to dock it doesn't really do that and um something i think either apple or third parties could look at maybe uh looking at i'm, I'm probably gonna put a sticker or something on them in the middle of the uh of the side that that needs to be facing into the watch back to actually get it to charge, um, just so I can find it when I'm when I'm charging up, because that is slightly frustrating me. Um, I picked up another one as well because uh, because obviously when I travel I don't I don't want to have to take the one from home because it's something to forget, and if I forget it then I have no watch. The other thing is it's it's very light, so when you put it down the table, the tension from the cord tends to turn it over and turn it up to the side you don't want it to be on so um probably i'll be looking at getting a dock to uh, stick this in so i can avoid some of these issues that's probably a better solution than a sticker to be honest and hey excuse to spend more money whoa um but it got kind of got me thinking um because this is there's no actual physical metal connection between the charger and the watch it's using inductive charging so inductive charging is Basically, there are coils in this little disc that generate a magnetic field. And then there are coils in the back of the watch that pick up that magnetic field and convert it back into energy again. If you ever have had a, um, an electric toothbrush, you've used the same technology. Um, and the reason it, it's never really picked up beyond things like watches and electric toothbrushes is because it can be quite inefficient um, and, quite, and consequently quite slow. Um, so it, it works better on things that are either docked for a long time or things that don't need an awful lot of charge or both, which obviously is the watches. The watches tend to be docked overnight and also it, it's got a tiny battery in it, so it doesn't need huge amounts of charge. So the efficiency of the of the charger is pr- probably less of a problem. But it kind of got me thinking, what you know, what else is available in this arena? Because it is kind of cool, just from a kind of geek out technology perspective the idea of transferring power wirelessly is kind of cool so i've invested in a few bits of kit to actually try this out and try and 
make wireless a bit more part of my life. So um, I think I mentioned this on the show last week, but I, I was visiting a client a couple of weeks ago and they had this system called Air Charge. It turns out it's something that they actually sell. Uh, and it was like a table with these little, if you've ever been in an office and you've seen those little kind of grommet holes in the back of an office desk where cables sometimes come up from the floor. It was a little disc in the table about that size, but actually this one wasn't a hole. It was filled with a, uh, a plastic thing with lights on it. Uh, and it actually was a, uh, a wireless charging station. So this was the, the powered up coils that had the... Uh, the magnetic field in it and then they had also on the same table these little discs with lightning and micro usb cables on that you could pick up plug into your device and then drop the disc onto this uh, spot on the table and it would start charging uh, and i thought it was pretty cool to be honest i mean it was the thing about it and I, I mentioned this to the people i was working with at this office and they said well yeah but if you've got to plug the little disc with a cable into the bottom of your phone what's the point? You might as well just plug a USB cable into your phone. It will charge quicker. And I kind of see where they're coming from from that, but I, to me it was... It, it slightly missed the point. Um, the, the point... But even if you have to plug something at the bottom of your phone, the, prob the point is is it it's a little bit more convenient, having done that, to just drop the phone on the table in the right place than it is to actually have to do the docking thing. And it means that if the phone rings, you want to use it, you can just pick it up without having to worry about it being snagged on a cable. Uh, and then when you finish, you just put it down again without constantly having to do that that plug-in thing. I mean, the lightning port is great, and it's great that it's um, bi-directional, so you can put the cable in either way. But it is pretty tiny, uh, and uh, it can be difficult to actually get the connector, the lightning connector, into a port, particularly if you're not directly looking at it. Um, and there's quite a lot of tension in there as well. Um, I've certainly seen quite, and I've been through a fair amount of lightning cables, where they just wear out just from plugging in and out. It doesn't tend to be the metal bit that wears out, it's the uh, the plastic shrouding that surrounds the actual plug and then turns into the lead. That kind of that kind of wears out and then the cables start disconnecting underneath and all of a sudden it doesn't charge reliably anymore. So, <coughs> excuse me. So wireless kind of gets you over some of that. Um, and so did a bit of research on it and it turns out there are two main standards for wireless power. There's something called PowerMAT or the PMA Association uh, and that is now currently owned by the Duracell Corporation who make rechargeable and um, alkaline batteries. Uh, and then there's something else called QI Q or Qi is probably how you actually have pronounce it. I think it's meant to be uh, a Chinese name. Um, and that's a competing wireless standard, and that's the one that tends to be built into... Qi is more prevalent in phones, actually built into phones, because it's a lot more compact than PowerMat. I've never seen a PowerMat adapter that wasn't quite thick, um, and consequently I've never seen it built into a phone, whereas um, the Qi the coils are very narrow and very thin, and uh, can be easily built into a phone. Um, in terms of the charging bases, the, the the mats you tend to put them on. There's not much between them, though. Um, it, depending on where you are, I believe power mat is much more prevalent in the US, so they're much more available uh, and prevalent and uh, easy to get over there. Whereas Qi is is more available elsewhere, particularly here in the UK. And uh, if you want a, a, a set of adapters or a, an ad a a charging receiver for your phone and then a, a mat for the 
for the for the base to charge it then then certainly here in the uk getting hold of chi ones is much easier than getting hold of the power mat stuff so that's what i did i um i actually picked up one of these air charge discs which i'd seen at this store um where i was working managed to find one cheap on ebay and i picked it up those those tend to be the, the adapters tend to be a little bit more expensive but for very little money you can get a little card smaller than a credit card um, that has a, a Qi receiver in uh, with a little projecting wire at the bottom. And the idea behind these is that you kind of tuck them in the back of your phone case. They're, they tend to be about half a millimeter thick. So unless your case is really, really tight fitting, you can normally kind of jam them in there and, and fit the case back on. If you've got kind of a, a skin type case or something that wraps around the phone, as opposed to something that clips right on. Uh, and then you kind of tuck the the wire out through the bottom and then you can plug it into the lightning port underneath if you've got an iPhone or if you've got a uh, an Android phone then you can do the same thing with the uh, the USB port and the micro USB port tends to be on the bottom and once you've got that in place then you can put that device down on a on a, a chi mat uh, and finally um, get the p positioning right and they're available in different sizes these things then it'll start charging I found it uh, charges an iPhone pretty much as fast as the apple charger will um it's hard to hard to to be exact without some kind of doing stopwatch timings which I'm, I'm not really interested in doing to be honest but um yeah i found that the phone like for instance last night i put my um i put my iphone down it had about 30 percent charge on it this was about 5 30 and i picked it up about an hour later and it was up to about 70 80 i didn't think that was too bad um the interesting thing about Qi as well is that you can actually get portable batteries, the sort of things you plug, uh, you know, kind of a 5,000 milliamp hour battery that you kind of, you know, about the size of a of a pack of cards that you plug a, a phone into to uh, top it off. You can get those with the, the key um, transmitters actually built into the top. So you could actually take that with you, put it on the desk and then put your phone on top if you want to do without having to do that. So... Um, yeah, it's pretty neat, actually. It, I mean, you do get that convenience factor of, okay, so um, my phone is charging and I can just leave it on there uh, and it's just being charged up. And I, all I need to do is to charge it, so put it down the table. And uh, then anytime I need to take all, I can pick it up and I can use it and I can walk off with it and everything like that. And then when I come back, I just put it on the table again and charge it. That is very neat uh, and it works pretty well. If you're looking to charge anything else, um, say, uh, well, like, for anything with the small battery, it's brilliant as well. Say my, uh, I've got a Bose set of wireless, uh, uh, sorry, not wireless, but uh, Bose noise cancelling in-ear headphones that have a little battery pack that's on the on the cable that plugs into your uh, onto your device, uh, and that's where all the noise cancelling electronics is. There's a small battery in there, and that, you know, they, I get about eight, ten hours out of those before they're recharging. But when I want to recharge it, I can just, um, in, when I'm in my office, I can just plug in my little air charge adapter and drop it on the on the charger and then come back half an hour later and it's done. Same for uh, for my Bluetooth headset that I use when I'm in the office for talking on the phone. Um, all of that is great. Um, charging something bigger like a tablet. So uh, I, uh, I can charge my iPad mini wirelessly. Uh, and again, the... Charge that comes with the iPad Mini is a, is the iPhone One app charger, so it charges round about the same speed as the iPhone does. But the obviously the iPad Mini's battery is much bigger, so it seems to be slower. Um, uh, uh, my case on my iPad Mini doesn't is not really suitable for a 
a key receiver in the back so I'm either going to have to change the case or just stick with the, uh, the little disc plugging into the cable port on that one so yeah it's, it works um, it's not quite as convenient the key thing is getting something in the back of the case um, but then for an iPad mini I could probably live with that on that the iPad Air which has a much bigger battery um, and really sucks through the battery because it's, it's a much faster device than my mini um, probably not ideal for wireless charging because I think it's just taking a bit too long uh, and the advantages of uh, plugging it into the uh, standard iPad Air adapter which is a 2.1 amp much higher power charger means that that really is uh, is worth the effort to uh, to do that um, it'd be great if they could kind of juice up the uh, magnetic induction to make it make it work more effectively but I guess uh, there must be some technical or physical limitations in the standard that not let them do that but it, it does kind of make me wonder now that Apple is in the what you know have a, has a product with wireless charging built in. How long it will be before we'll actually see them um, issuing their own their own wireless charging solution built into the phones? Uh, I really hope if they do, it's a standard one and it's not their own. Because um, if it's their own, it's not really going to take off because cheese is a standard uh, and it hasn't really taken off either <laughs> um, there's plenty of people with android phones that have it and yet i don't think a lot of them do it most manufacturers don't tend to bundle the wireless charger in with the phone so uh, if you don't have the wireless charger you have to then go out and buy it and these things are not they're available pretty easily if you know where to look but they're not necessarily being kind of pushed into your face and marketed to you as much as conventional wired power solutions are so uh, I don't think it will really take off un until, um, a, a, you know, some mass market, uh, really mass market um, devices. And obviously the iPhone being a unified device would be more mass market than a particular brand of Android phone or a particular brand of Nokia phone. Uh, and then they also need to, to bundle the, uh, the accessories or really push the accessories cheaper. As I say, I really hope that, if Apple does it, they don't come up with their own standard um, because that I don't think that'd be great then. But it's interesting. Um, so if you fancy if you fancy playing around with it, you know, go looking on eBay. You can pick the stuff up pretty cheaply, um, and it's nice nice to have an option, even if you don't necessarily want to use it all the time. So food for thought. Anybody got any other experiences with uh, wireless charging in any other fields or realms? Be interested to hear from you from that. Obviously, uh, I gave you the feedback uh, points before. Tech Fan Podcast on Twitter or uh, the show at techfanpodcast.com. Always interested to hear from our listeners, so uh, feel free to get in touch. Next week, as I say, I'm going to be talking with Tim again. We're going to be talking WWDC and getting some background on what he's been up to, um, what he's seen at these trade shows he's been going to. So uh, we shall speak to you then. In the, in the meantime, have a good week. <laughs>